Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I will be shorter in this sermon than the, pre- the one this morning to get us to where we want to be at the Lord's Supper time. I engaged in a project a few weeks ago of Jewels of Calvary in Hebrews. It's now punishing me with pleasure. I have far more than I bargained for. And I hope that going through some of those chapters last evening blessed you to think about how many there actually are. To be a jewel of Calvary means it has to refer to the death, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for us. It can't be some of the other comparisons or covenant comparisons or the glory and exaltation of Jesus Christ and maybe some aspects of his priesthood. It's got to pull in his death because it's jewels of Calvary in the book of Hebrews. I would like to start in chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. I'm only going to be able to share a few with you and we'll trust the Lord for whatever direction he might have to share more with you. Hebrews chapter 9. I'm not going to go systematically through the book. I just want to get some from chapters 9 and 10. Hebrews has a primary theme, the preeminence of Jesus Christ and his gospel over all Old Testament religion. It's just a great theme from beginning to end. It's simple, it's powerful, it's weighty, it's logical, and it should lift up the Lord Jesus Christ to us as we come to his supper. Now, we're narrowing it even close, tighter than that, because we want to see jewels of Calvary in the book. Hebrews was written to Jews that had a sacrificial system of religion, and so Paul's readers appreciate the things in this book more than you do. You've never had a priest, needed a priest, or used a priest. You hardly even know what the function of a priest is. You've never seen a sacrifice. Most of you have never killed an animal. You've never bled it out and splattered its blood all over the place as it bleated out its final breaths. They all understood that. They had seen it many times. They knew there was an altar and tables around that altar where men stood with butcher knives and hatchets and chopped meat all day long. You don't even know what that means. They did. And so if you'll read Hebrews thinking about a believing Jew having the two systems of the Old Testament and New Testament religion compared, oh yes, the Apostle Paul is brilliant in this book of showing the superiority of Jesus Christ. Hebrews was written to Jews from a priestly system. Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament. I want you to think about this. Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that identifies Jesus as a priest. Never. Elsewhere in the New Testament. 26 times in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is identified as a priest. Hebrews emphasizes the blood of sacrifices. It mentions blood 20 times about sacrifices. Romans can only pull off three. Ephesians can only pull off three. The blood... It was everywhere. It stunk. It attracted flies. It was terrible. They put it on their ears. They splattered it on the people. 
They had to put it on themselves. They had to carry it around. Everything was purged by blood, as we're about to read. Verse 18. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 18. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Amen and amen. The patriarchs, there's three dispensations in the history of the world. There's 2,500 years of the patriarchs. Noah, Abraham. There's 1,500 years of the Old Testament. And there's 2,000 years and counting, and not much more to count, of the New Testament. Patriarchs, Old Testament, New Testament. The patriarchs introduced, and Moses' religion required, an emphasis of blood sacrifices. As early as Eden, God killed animals to outwardly clothe Adam and Eve with coats of skins. To get coats of skins, you've got to kill animals. That's in Genesis 3. Abel brought a bloody sacrifice from the firstlings and fat of his sheep. In Genesis 4, Noah took seven of the clean animals on the ark so that when he got off the ark, he'd have extra clean animals to offer his sacrifices to the Lord. It's a bloody religion. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The Bible tells us that. That has aided medical researchers in the history of the world to know that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So they stopped bleeding men like our President George Washington. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The last thing you want to do is take the blood away. That's the life of the flesh. Paul summarized the Old Testament in verse 22 right here in front of you. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. To purge is to wash away, cleanse, and sanctify something. And so even the vessels of the ministry in verse 21 and the tabernacle itself, the tent, had to have blood put on it because there was blood everywhere because life had to be given. And, the life, of the, and, and life is in the blood. And so the blood indicated that the life of the thing, the animal in the Old Testament that had the life in it, its life was taken in order to get its blood. So there was a lot of blood. The first testament, or the Old Testament, 1500 B.C. to Jesus, was dedicated by blood. Verse 18, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. And then it goes on to describe the book, the book of the Old Testament, the book that God gave to Moses in Mount Sinai, beginning with two tables of stone, and then a whole lot of other precepts, that was the covenant that God had enjoined to his Old Testament church. That means he had put in force for them. It was a do-or-die covenant. It was a terrible covenant. 
but even it was put into force by blood. And that's what verses 18 and 19 are telling us. Saying in verse 20, and I, I want you to remember these words, and so I read them slowly. This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. I will say shortly, this cup is the blood of the new testament. This cup is the blood of the new covenant which God has enjoined to you by the death of his son rather than by the sprinkling of the blood of animals. Paul dramatically described it in verses 19 and 20 by mentioning some of the instruments used to scatter that blood. Moses' religion involved sprinkling blood in the tabernacle and the vessels of worship. There was no remission of sins, even ceremonially, without the lifeblood of animals. When it said, without shedding of blood is no remission, that's to remit sins so that you wouldn't die that day. It wasn't to get you into heaven because the Old Testament didn't get you into heaven. The Old Testament just kept you alive for another day by having blood shed for you to ceremonially cleanse you. But still it required blood. Because the wages of sin is death. And we are in Romans 1, which puts us in Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is... That's Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 3.23 is for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 23, Paul explains, It was therefore necessary. Since the Old Testament religion was a pattern religion... It was a shadow religion. It was a symbolic religion of reality. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens, the things in the heavens are reality. It's the truth. God in a truly holy place, having a mediator come and bring blood, his own blood, Jesus our Savior. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens, the things in the heavens are the reality and the truth of our religion with a holy God that requires a death for sinners. The patterns of the things in the heavens are the Old Testament. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things, the Old Testament that gave a pattern or a picture of what reality is like, should be purified with these. These is scarlet wool, hyssop, water, the blood of calves and of goats. I just want you... Uh, 23 is a little obscure when you first read it. I want you to understand it. It was therefore necessary that the patterns, because the Old Testament is the pattern. All of its ceremonies were the patterns of things in the heavens. It was therefore necessary that even the patterns had to be purified with this kind of bloodletting that Moses had just described in verses 19 and 20. It was therefore necessary, since the Old Testament was symbolic pictures of the real remission of sins, blood was needed. Thus, all aspects of Old Testament worship were purified with blood. A life had to be, be lost. A life had to be taken. There was bleeding everywhere. Bleating. Bleeding causes bleating. It was necessary for lots of bloody sacrifices to purify, for our salvation is by such shedding of blood. And so it was therefore necessary that if you're going to have a pattern in Old Testament religion of the reality and truth of how we are saved, there had to be blood, because the reality is bloodshed. And that is why we are here right now. And that is why we are coming to the Lord's table. 
But then we have a but. Do you know how many of these inspired disjunctives are in our Bibles? But the heavenly things themselves, see, no longer the patterns, the reality, the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. There's a shedding of blood that is better than anything under the Old Testament that was necessary for the reality that is in heaven, which are the heavenly things themselves, not the patterns of the heavenly things. I want you to understand 23, since you understand every word in it. It's beautiful. Leaving the Old Testament pattern behind to see reality in heaven, the bloody sacrifice of Christ is better. Heavenly acceptance and atonement with God to inherit the eternal Zion was by the Lord Jesus Christ in the shedding of His blood. His blood flowing freely from many wounds, costing Him His life, put the New Testament into force. Instead of being having the Old Testament enjoined to us, the New Testament is enjoined to us. And we raise that cup once a month. Lord, forgive us if it's not often enough. Show me. Show me. I've asked. This cup is the New Testament. The New Testament in my blood, not in the blood of animals. If you're worried about the plural, the plural is appropriate to match the patterns, which is plural. Context declares a single sacrifice. You only have to read ahead to verse 25. For not, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest every year with blood, verse 26, but now once in the end of the world has he offered himself. The plural is appropriate to match the phrases plural. But the heavenly things, plural, themselves with better sacrifices than these. Don't worry about it. You're, you're missing something and you're worrying too much about a passage like this where there's a comparison being made. The plural is appropriate to exalt Christ's sacrifice in all of its great facets and phases. It's the perfectly right thing to write. The, and I always believe that about the Bible. It's just my job to figure out the reasons why. The heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. There's only one sacrifice offered by Jesus Christ, his own blood once for all. But since he's dealing with it this way, and we can look at the sacrifice of Christ as being redemption. We can look at the sacrifice of Christ as being propitiation. That's the different facets. We can look at the phases of Christ and what it results in salvation for us. Our communion that we're going to take part of in just a few minutes is a symbolic representation of all this that I just read to you. And it's a bloodless but blood-like wine that we use. It's the Lord. Do you know how much easier this is? It's bloodless, but it's blood-like. It looks like blood. But it's bloodless because the blood was shed once for all. The Lord Jesus Christ shed his own blood once for all for us. We think back to the cross and a finished sacrifice rather than forward to one needed. We think of blood as the lifeblood of Jesus poured out unto death for our remission. Because it says, without shedding of blood is no remission. We do not want ceremonial remission to stay alive for another 24 hours. We want legal remission of our sins so that we can live forever in the final phase of salvation. And that requires blood but it requires better sacrificial blood than the Old Testament. It requires the blood of the Son of God. He gave it. He took it into heaven, and God accepted it. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. That's why there's so much blood in Hebrews, 20 occurrences. 
pertaining to our Lord's blood. And so let me say for the third time, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. That is the, the scarlet hyssop and stuff. It was necessary because in heaven, it is the blood of Jesus Christ with his life running out of him and he laid down his life and his life was taken from him and he was slain and he was murdered and he was killed. The prince of life was killed for our redemption. And so it was necessary in the Old Testament that there be a lot of blood to even ceremonially remiss sins and we have our sins remitted forever. Amen. Look at chapter 10. Now that's what I call a jewel of Calvary. And to me, verse 23 is the jewel. It was therefore, a ver of chapter 9, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified by these. These ceremonial aspects of blood sprinkling and shedding and spreading that Paul described, they were necessary to give a proper picture of how we would be saved. But the heavenly things themselves, when we get rid of the patterns, have a better sacrifice involved than just those animals that offered and gave their blood. Right. Chapter 10. The book of Hebrews exalts Jesus Christ over all religious matters, and it has some inspired contrasts that I hope you might like. Verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, See, it's instead of patterns, it uses shadow. For the law, that is, the Old Testament religion, having a shadow of good things to come, the good things to come are Christ and the gospel of grace, and not the very image of the things. It's only a pattern. It's not the real thing. The real thing is the New Testament. Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The jewel here is the word perfect. If you are even in the slightest degree less than perfect when you meet God, where do you go? You go to hell. You go to hell fire. You go to the lake of fire. The Old Testament never made anyone perfect. Our God is perfect. In Matthew 22, which I preached to you not long ago, when God came into that wedding feast and supper and found a man that was imperfectly dressed. He said, friend, where is your wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And he said, take him and bind him and cast him into outer darkness. Our God is perfect. Matthew 5 even tells us to be perfect like he is perfect. Our God is perfect. The Old Testament religious economy of Moses and animal sacrifices never made them perfect. It never worked. It never put away sins. It never cleared consciences. It left imperfect results. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ because no one could be made perfect by it. But Jesus, like Moses, but also Moses, Lord, made us perfect forever by his sacrifice. Look at verse 14. For by one offering. What does verse 1 say? 
those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually. 1,500 years of the Day of Atonement in October, which Jews today call Yom Kippur, the corrupt version of it. 1,500 years never made anyone perfect. Verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now do you like that? I am perfect forever. You, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are perfect forever by one sacrifice. 1,500 days of atonements never made anyone perfect. One sacrifice made me perfect forever. 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 Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge, we need you right now. Forever. Forever. Perfect forever. The jewel of Calvary is perfect. It's the word perfect. Do you think the Holy Spirit knew that he had the word perfect in verse 1, the word perfect in verse 14? Do you think Paul knew that he had the word perfect in verse 1 and the word perfect in, oh yes. Oh yes. Why do you think it's popping up again? Why did he use it? Because he was making a point for us to have a jewel. Do you know what the Bible says in Romans 8? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? I'm perfect because of that. He's made me perfect because of that. By one offering, and I'm perfect forever. Legally, we're speaking of legally, and it's wonderful. Legally will result in the final phase of salvation when I'm glorified in his presence. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the Father. We're perfect. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again, made of sins every year. We are talking about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is something to be remembered. It's a special day. Uh, bullocks and goats were killed, and blood was taken and put on the priests, and they went in to offer for their own sins first. Then they'd come out and go back in on the Day of Atonement, the only time they ever got to go into the holiest of all, the only time into the small compartment at the end of the tabernacle on this Day of Atonement. They had to offer sacrifices for their own sins first because they weren't like our mediator and high priest. Then they had to go in and offer for the sins of the people. Then they would come out as if that wasn't enough. And they would take those bodies because they didn't want those stinking sin offering bodies near that tabernacle. And they were hauled outside the camp and burned. And then the priest would put his hands on the head of a goat, one of the goats that was left, and it would be the scapegoat and a fit man, a, deca a decathlete that was still a decathlete, would, would run that goat out into the wilderness far enough away that it would be lost. And it was the scapegoat. It was, it was a great day. And you look at those pictures, and it's the patterns of things in the heavenly, but the heavenly is much better, as verse 23 told us. And so you look at those different aspects. Jesus Christ took it all for us. He fulfilled it all. Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What a difference in remembrance. What a difference in memory. Every time you went through this day of atonement, 
you had to ask yourself, why am I doing it again this year since we did it last year and since I'm 45? The person in my illustration, I've done it 45 times because all it did is remind you of sin. It reminded you that there had not been atonement made with God. God still had your sins against you. You had just lived another year. Ceremonial, you had been protected a year, but there were still sins. And so everyone would go home with a conscience, still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that it could never make the conscience good. The Old Testament was terrible that way. It couldn't make the conscience good. But the gospel of Jesus Christ does make our conscience good by telling us of a sacrifice that put away all our sins. And look what it says there in verse 17. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, the Old Testament was you remembering your sins. And so you never went home content and satisfied knowing that you were saved. But this issue is not us forgetting our sins because we still remember them. We still know that we need a Savior, but God has forgotten our sins by His selective memory toward His elect. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Psalm 5.5 Has anyone in live stream land ever heard this verse before? Psalm 5.5 The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. How in the world will we ever get to heaven if God hates all workers of iniquity and if he sends to hell those that are still workers of iniquity? Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. An interposition has taken place between Matthew 7, 23 and Hebrews, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord and the shedding of his blood. Verse 11. And every priest of the Old Testament Levitical system, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The little jewel of Calvary that I offer you from these four verses. The Old Testament priests, and there were many of them, from 30 to 50, engaged in the heavy lifting of the sacrificial system. So there were 75 generations of them to do all those sacrifices, standing day after day, butchering animals, dividing them asunder, shedding their blood. It's in verse 11, standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins 
no matter how many times they were offered. So I want you to envision, since you've never been there, but the Jews had been there. They had been to temple worship. They had seen those hardworking men. 55-year-old men were not considered competent to be able to do the heavy lifting of the animal sacrifice of that system. But Charlie, this is for you. You'll see. It's in verse 12. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. My jewel that I give to you is this standing priest, which you don't fully appreciate because you never depended upon a standing priest who was butchering animals every day of his life. We don't fully appreciate it. We've got to try to imagine it. And I'm saying 1,500 years, 75 times 20, 75 generations of these men butchering animals, standing, often the same sacrifices over and over again, which can never take away sins. But our Lord Jesus Christ, which we remember in the Lord's Supper, offered himself once and put away sins by himself forever. And what did he do? He sat down. Because Hebrews 1.3, which is probably Charlie's favorite verse in Hebrews, is that when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When a priest sits down, something big has happened. The sins have been put away. There's no other animal to flay. There's no other blood to shed. It's been put away forever. So he sits down. So that's another little jewel. So the four little jewels I got to share with you in my limited time were the patterns of these things had their blood sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves had better sacrifices. And then we saw that that old system never made anyone perfect, but Jesus Christ hath perfected forever. The old system remembered sins. The new gospel says their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. The old system, you had to keep working. You never got to stop working. And if you, if you turned 50 and had a birthday or you died, they had someone to replace you. Next man up. Because they had to keep killing. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. Those are a few little jewels. If they, if they didn't light you up a little bit in your heart, I'm sorry, it's my fault. Because I know, I know how glorious they are. I wish that we had come from the Jews' religion for a few minutes just to appreciate the blood and the, the priests and the sacrifice and the, the bleeding and the mess. And the, but our Lord Jesus Christ did all the mess. Do you know how clean it is down there? This table we have before us, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, do you know how clean it is? Do you know how clean and neat it is? Because he, he did it all. He doesn't ask us to even do the slightest little dirty thing. It's all clean and neat. We've got white linen. What? Because the Lord Jesus Christ did all the bleeding for us. What a Savior. What a Savior. Better sacrifices. I'm perfected. He doesn't remember my sins, and he sat down because I'm purged forever.
May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Eric, let us now sing about his death. Let's do it together. Let's teach and admonish each other by singing. And let's prepare our hearts and our minds further for partaking of the Lord's Supper. Find a Burgundy hymn book, please. Burgundy hymn books. We'll sing a couple of hymns. Burgundy books number 557. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Burgundy books number 557, please. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Back to 129, please. Dripping from the cross. Number 129. 
songs. Brother Jeff, Nothing But the Blood was for you. And Dripping from the Cross, Brother Newell was for you. I know some of your favorite songs about our Lord. Let me try to lift the value and the preciousness of what's before us three different ways. One, we were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. Silver and gold are unique metals in that they are called precious metals as opposed to base metals like copper and brass. Precious metals. But we weren't redeemed with corruptible things. Look at the Lord make fun of gold and silver though He created it. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like the precious metals, silver and gold, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Our Lord wasn't going to call gold and silver precious and then call His Son's blood precious. He's going to call gold and silver corruptible and His Son's blood precious. Yes, I hope you like that. That's 1 Peter 1. That's a jewel of Calvary from 1 Peter. Now let me share this with you. We understand Hebrews 10 differently than 99.99% of all Christians when it comes to verses 25 through 31. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, and exhort one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. We understand the day approaching in Hebrews 10, was going to fall in five or ten years after this epistle, and it would be the ruin of Jerusalem. So that the whole purpose of the book, to keep these believing Hebrews, these believing Jews, these baptized, converted Jews, from backsliding to Moses' religion and putting themselves under the curse of the day of judgment that was coming on the Jews. For if we sin willfully to turn back from this blood. For if we sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If the Jews that had seen the animal blood system had converted to the Jesus Christ, the Son of God blood system, then went backward, there would be no sacrifice for their sins because they would have been leaving the only sacrifice that could put away sin, as I've explained to you today. If we sin willfully, apostasy from Christ and His blood, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, being the gospel of grace, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain, fearful, looking for, of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. The adversaries that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Fiery indignation was coming from the God of heaven for what they did to his son. The father loveth the son, and they brutalized his son. And though he used their wicked hands to take his son's life, he punished them for what they did to his son. A certain, fearful, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. All it took was two witnesses and you'd be stoned to death for breaking some commandment of Moses and his 917 rules or whatever the number is. Listen. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. To be converted to the blood of Christ and to go back to animal blood was to despise the blood of the covenant of how much sore punishment. Forget the lack of mercy. Thine eye shall not pity. The Old Testament law said, stone them of how much sore punishment for those that turn away from this. Let me lift it in your eyes and minds and hearts. Let's never turn away from this. Let's embrace it and love it. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What is all that about? And they made light of it. The Jews had this preached to them, and they made light of it. Let's never make light of it, of how much sore punishment. And it happened in 70 AD. He burned them to the ground. He tore that temple apart. You want to talk about the time of Reformation? For 40 years, John, Jesus, and the apostles preached a new form of religion. But in order to make it clear to everyone, Jesus just eliminated the former system of religion. By tearing the temple to the ground, there was no temple. Eliminating the priesthood, there were no priests. Eliminating the altar, there wasn't an altar. There wasn't a veil. There wasn't a holy of holies. There was nothing. Okay, can we have a more positive thought, Pastor? Still in Hebrews. Now the God of peace. Are you talking about the same God, Pastor? Yes. Three chapters later. Now the God of peace. He's at peace with me, and I'm at peace with him, and I am not turning back. We sang it to end last Sunday. No turning back. No turning back. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let us thank the Lord and bless the bread. Almighty God, 
the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we worship Thee and we thank Thee for the gift of Thy Son. We agree together that the horrific words of Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 are perfectly just and right for anyone that would understand the shed blood of your son and turn back to the animal system of Moses. Since we are not in that situation then and there, forgive us forever having neglected, for having made light of, or having lived against the shed blood of your Son. We thank Thee that You gave Him a body, a body You prepared Him, because all the bodies of those animals had never put away sin. And we thank Thee that by this bread, this unleavened bread that You have given us and shown us, that when we tear it, it is to remind us of His torn body, which was torn for the remission of our sins. When the skin and the flesh was torn, the blood came forth. We thank Thee for this dual element supper. These two menu items of the feast of the Lord's Passover. And we thank Thee that in the great day of judgment, You will pass over us because You will see the blood of Your Son because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We thank Thee for the Lamb. We thank Thee for His torn body. Bless us now as we partake of this bread. Strengthen our faith. Increase our love. Cause our commitment to be greater to Christ than ever before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.